Well, let's take the book of promises called the Bible and open it to the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119. Every paragraph begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. That's why it's so long. And we're going to take one of those paragraphs, namely verses 9 through 16, and read it. And then we're going to take one verse in that paragraph and eat it. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. We'll focus on verse 11, so ears, ears open when we get there. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy word. With all my heart I have sought thee. Do not let me wander from thy commandments. Thy word I have treasured in my heart. That I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I think I need to read that verse again just so you comprehend the amazing statement and pray as I read it that it would be true of you. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on thy precepts and regard thy ways. I shall delight in thy statutes. I shall not forget thy word. O God in heaven and our Father, would you come now and help me? And help us. May I unfold verse 11 faithfully. May ears be granted and hearts docile, sensitive, open, malleable, touchable, changeable, ready, responsive to your word. And would we be so inclined and Leaned over toward the word that we would love it more than we love money or anything else the world has to offer. Come, Father, perform the miracle of revolutionizing our values so that we leave this room with fresh longing for the word of God in our lives. Fresh longing for lives permeated by the scripture and lived out at work. And home. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There are two ways to talk about the ultimate goal of life. You can talk about it positively or you can talk about it negatively. Both are right. Both are good. Positively, you can say the ultimate goal of life is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Or you can say negatively, the ultimate goal of life is not to sin. If, my, if I could accomplish anything in my life, I would like to be a non-sinner, free from sin, or positively, I would like everything I do to be God's glory, to be for God's glory. Either one of those, you could say it that way, which means that if we learn how to live for the glory of God and enjoy God, we would know how not to sin. Or, turn it around, if we learn how not to sin... We would know 
how to live for the glory of God and enjoy him. Which means that verse 11 is a key that unlocks the ultimate purpose of life. Because it says, thy word I have treasured in my heart for this reason, that I may not sin against thee. So evidently a key that unlocks the ultimate purpose of life, not sinning negatively or positively, living in such a way that God gets glory for my life and all that I do and I rejoice in him in it, is to have the word of God treasured in my heart. That's what I see in verse 11. So let's take it a phrase at a time and unpack this tremendous key to living the Christian life. It has three phrases. Thy word, first phrase. I have treasured, second phrase, in my heart, third phrase. Let's take them one at a time, starting with thy word. What does he mean by thy word? The thy is God. What is this, thy word? It's not the subjective impression that he gets when he prays for the will of God to be known for his afternoon's activities. That's not a wrong thing to pray. But that's not the word of God that he has in his mind here. Rather, he has in mind the objective, revealed, written word of God outside himself. Now, the reason we know that is by just looking at the context. Look at the second half of verse 10. Do not let me wander from thy commandments. Verse 12. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. Verse 13. With my lips I have told of all thy ordinances. Verse 14. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies. 15. I meditate on thy precepts. Commandments. Statutes, ordinances, testimonies, precepts. Those are the words that the Bible uses not to refer to subjective impressions, but to the revealed word of God written, especially the books of Moses for those Old Testament saints. The Torah, the teaching of God. And by implication, the whole Bible for us today who know and have reason to believe, as we're seeing on Wednesday nights, that God has inspired this book and it is his word. So... Thy word for us today would mean the Bible, the written scriptures. Phrase number two. Let's take number three as number two. Namely, in my heart. Thy word I have treasured in my heart. Now, let's focus on in my heart. What does that mean? Well, it's the contrast with outside of me on a scroll. Or in a book. Or on a radio. Or on notes that I take down. Or on my computer screen. Or the Bible program. That's out there and that's good and that's glorious and we'd be done for without it. But it's not yet in my heart. So in my heart is to say what, what is out there given objectively by God. Whether on stone tablets at Mount Sinai. Or on a scroll. Or on a computer screen or on a page, or on a radio voice, is to get inside. It's to come inside in the heart. Now, the heart is the organ 
in the Old Testament which thinks and feels. Sometimes in a loose way we talk about head and heart meaning thinking and feeling, head and heart. And that's okay because heart often means that. But often in the Old Testament heart is a thinking organ. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So a heart does two things. It thinks and it feels. So to get the word, thy word, from off the page into this organ is to get it into the place where you think about it and you feel about it. Meditate on it. Love it. Or get scared by it. Or get angry over it. Or whatever happens, depending on the kind of heart you have. So in my heart is to get it from out there to in here where I can think, meditate, and feel about it. Now let's take the second phrase. I have treasured. Thy word, I have treasured in my heart. And you might ask, I asked when I was thinking about this, how do you know that the word of God is in my heart rather than the treasuring being in the heart and the word still being outside. So when it says, thy word I have treasured in my heart, the in my heart defines the act of treasuring, not the location of the word. How do you know that's not the meaning? Because Noel's sitting right over there in the first service and I, I looked at her and I said, if I said, um, Noel, have I treasured in my heart? What I would mean is, she's out there, I have a treasuring organ. When I see her, I feel treasure. I feel that she's treasured. I'm doing the treasuring in here. She's out there. How do you know that's not what it means? Thy word on a page is treasured in here and the word's out there. How, how can you, how, where do you get this idea? How are you sure that the word's getting in here? Or are you reading that in because you want to talk about memory this morning? My answer to that is that this word treasure up in Hebrew is uh, used about 35 times in the Old Testament. I read them all yesterday because I got a neat computer program. I just hit a button and there they are. Um, I read them all and, and they always mean store or hide. This is why the King James Version says, Thy word have I what in my heart? Hid. That's a good translation. has a bad connotation because it looks like you're trying to keep it from people. But it's true in the sense that you're storing it and putting it in here away. It's, so the word doesn't mean mainly treasure. It comes to mean treasure secondarily because that's what you did with treasures. You hid them because there were no banks in those days. If you had a treasure, you buried it in your bedroom, smoothed it over. Or you found a place that was safe. So the word hide or store came to mean to treasure. Because you wouldn't hide anything worthless. Unless you were ashamed of it, I suppose. And that's clearly not the meaning. So the word itself tells me that the word is going from out there into here like a pantry. You're storing things in the pantry. So you have access to them. And you can eat them when you're, when you're ready. So, I conclude now from these three phrases. Thy word, I have treasured in my heart. I conclude that this is one way, 
of sinning, I mean keeping from sinning, against God. To live for His glory. And it's, it takes two things, not just one thing. Make sure you got this. It won't do just to have the Word out there or just to have the Word in here. You also need to be treasuring it. And it won't do to be treasuring it and just having it out there and not in here. Because if you're walking through the day and you come up to a big, ugly temptation that gets a foothold in your life and it's pulling on you, could be lust, could be money, could be power, could be pride, could be fear, could be a temptation to lie and cheat at work, get out of a fix, and it's pulling on you. If you've got a good, solid word in you about that and a good promise of God, but you don't treasure it, it's not valuable and precious to you, it won't be of any use. Or, if you treasure the word, but it's gone, you can't think of anything and nothing's coming to your mind, and this thing is pulling on you, and there's nothing to hack off the rope with, it's not going to do any good either. So, you've got two things necessary. You've got to have the word handy... Popeye just came to my mind. What did he used to eat? You remember what happened when he popped spinach into his mouth? I haven't seen Popeye for 30 years. I'm not sure why that just came to my mind. I, I don't know if this is prophetic or not. But at that moment, see, I was going to use the image of sword. Just whack. But let's just use the image of spinach. Although the Bible really tastes a lot better than spinach. So maybe I shouldn't have brought this up in the first place. I'm going to get in trouble here. You pop it in your mouth. If you don't have, if Popeye didn't have the spinach, he's going to fall over the ship and drown. At least that's the cartoon I remember. He was on a ship. Let's go back to the sword. Stick with the Bible. This is the sword of the Spirit. If you don't have your sword, if you don't have your dagger here, you can't cut off the cords of temptation. So memory, storing it up, and treasuring it are both important. So this... The point of my message today is to encourage and motivate you and persuade you to memorize Scripture. The way an ant, I'm still in the Bible now, ant stores up food in the summer. I get this from Proverbs 6.8 where it says, The ant prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. Why? Because ants don't operate well on the snow and there's no food available out there. On the snow. I've never seen a little line of ants in my backyard crawling along top of the snow. But in the summer, I see them crawl on top of my counter and across the floor and across the sidewalk. And you know what they're doing? They're not loafing. They don't just go out and enjoy the food. They take it underneath wherever they live. I, I'm glad I don't know where they live in the wintertime. And they eat it all winter long. Because they've stored it up and it says that's the way we're supposed to do the word. Store it, hide it, treasure it, so that when the winter comes, and, and you know that in the Christian life, seasons change in an hour. Not in three months, but in an hour. It goes from summer to winter. But here you are having a glorious time with God at 6.30 in the morning. And an hour later, it's winter at work. And there's an icy breeze blowing here. And uh, your Bible's not open on your computer keyboard. And this ice is... So what are you going to do? You just you go in there where you stored it up like an ant, 
and you pull it out. And you eat it. It makes you strong. You savor it. And it works for you. Now, we're going to have a church-wide memory program starting this Sunday all year long. And the goal is to get everybody, children from two years old to 102, to memorize one passage of Scripture every week. I'll be very detailed about what that is in just a few minutes. And uh, some of you have already gone by the tables and seen what it looks like. But let me tell you a little more about why we're doing this. Dallas Willard is a pretty famous fellow these days because he wrote a very good book called The Spirit of the Disciplines. The professor at, I think, UCLA or University of Southern California, I'm not sure which, used to be a pastor. And he wrote in that book, as a pastor, teacher and counselor, I have repeatedly seen the transformation of inner and outer life that comes from simply memorizing and meditating upon Scripture. Personally, he says, I would never undertake to pastor a church or guide a program of Christian education that did not involve a continuous program of memorization of the choicest passages of Scripture for all ages. I felt a little bit stung by that because as much as I believe in Bible memory and have Engaged in it for years. I've never led this church in an all-church Bible memory program like we're going to start today. I had to be kicked in the pants to get this to happen by better people than myself on staff. And am so glad they did. Now, some of you doubt that this can happen for you. Because you say, children can do that easily. I can't remember my phone number. Well, I have a little test for you here. I read this test yesterday and was stung again. Suppose I said to you and had the resources to pull it off. I'll give you $1,000 at the end of the week for every verse you memorized. Now, just let this sink in a minute. I will give you $1,000 for that new computer. Get seven of them. You can buy a nice used car. Get about 30, you can buy a house in Phillips' neighborhood. Whatever you want. Could you do it? One verse? You'd do it. You know you'd do it. Of course you could do it. Everybody in this room could do it. The issue, folks, is motivation, and that question is Larry laying bare something right now. Check yourself. It laid me bare. That question, if I gave you $1,000 for every verse you memorized this week, what would you do? Where's your heart, folks? The Bible says, God says, they are more precious than silver. Yea, more precious than gold, much fine gold. By them is thy servant warned, and in keeping them is great reward. Far greater than a thousand dollars a verse. The issue is, do you believe that? The issue is, do you believe that? Or do one thousand crisp green dollars Feel believable to you, but God's word 
is not as believable as the benefits of $1,000. This is really testing us. This is really testing us to see what we mean when we say, I can't memorize. It's not just for children. A lot of people say, well, children can do it easily and it's just for children. So by all means, let's have a memory program for children. You know, the biggest reason for not believing that is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, devoted himself to memorize Scripture verbatim. And the reason we know that is because when he was in the wilderness, and there were no libraries in the wilderness, and there were no books in the wilderness. They didn't have books in those days. They had a scroll in the synagogue and a very few copies of the scroll by hand that maybe rich rabbis could have. And the rest of the saints knew the Bible for one way. They listened carefully in the synagogue and memorized it and went home and kept it. And Jesus devoted himself to doing that. And when he was in the wilderness, Matthew 4, 4, Matthew 4, 7, Matthew 4, 10, every time he was tempted, he defeated the devil by reciting verbatim Deuteronomy. And if you think you can do it a better way than Jesus, something's wrong with you. Jesus memorized scripture and so must we we're calling them fighter verses 52 fighter verses they're going to go in a little notebook like this a ring book it says fighter verses on the front of it be strong in the lord put on the full armor of god there's the knight you wondered where is the knight well there he is and of course he's out in the hallway there And he's got the sword of the spirit in his hand and you are to become like him in your ability to defeat the devil. We call them fighter verses, not because we fight each other with them or fight any people with them, but because we fight the devil with them and we fight sin with them. So we'll keep them right in there. There'll be 52 of them for everybody who says yes to this. Dawson Trotman. Remember him? The founder of the Navigators. The Navigators, student ministry, ministry to military people, especially naval people around the world. Dawson Trotman was saved as a young truck driver on a lumber yard in Los Angeles in 1926. And God opened his eyes to the value of the word in his life, that it's the food of faith and that faith starves without it. And he began to memorize the Bible verse a day. And after three years, he said, I've got my first thousand. The first thousand in three years. Now, if Dawson Trotman at age, I don't know what age he was, but if he can, if he can use truck driving to review systematically a thousand verses for the first three years of his Christian life, then we can learn 52 verses in 1997 in 365 Days, You know you can if you want to. Let me ask you, is your faith strong or is your faith weak? I have never met a strong Christian who does not know much scripture by heart. Never. There's a reason for that. God has designed faith, which is the strength of a Christian, to feed on the word. The food of faith is Scripture. If you do not feed your faith, it atrophies. Know that word? Gets smaller, weakens, goes limp. And you wonder, why am I a weak Christian? Why don't I have joy like others have joy in worship? 
Why don't I have courage at work to witness? Why am I defeated in temptation? It's because your faith is hungry. It's hungry and you don't feed it. You get up in the morning. Let's try this. Suppose you got up in the morning and had a glass of orange juice. And take about five minutes to drink that glass of orange juice while you're reading the paper. And then you skip meals until the next morning. And then you have another glass of orange juice while you're reading the newspaper. And then you skip lunch and supper and then you have another glass of orange juice. How long would you last? Twenty days, maybe. So you'd be in the hospital before that was up. And you wonder, why? what's faith? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And the poor faith said, feed me. I'm starving. Feed me. I'm dying. Did you see I'm dying? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's not just conversion. The pantry of your mind is to be well stocked. So that as you get to mid-morning, typing with the computer at work or answering telephones or changing the diaper or, or whatever, and you feel weak or temptation rises up, just pause for a minute, reach in the pantry, pull out, forget the spinach, just pull out whatever you like and eat it. And whew, I feel good. Like you pull out, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Oh, yes, I'm going to inherit the earth. I can make it through this day. And then you pick up the telephone and... You're excited. They say, what are you thinking about? I said, I was just thinking about inheriting the earth. I said, what? Well, it says in the Bible, the meek shall inherit the earth. Oh, well, can I speak to Mary? The pantry is to be filled with good portions so that you don't just drink your orange juice in the morning, cruise through the day on carnal strength, come back, drink another glass of orange juice, cruise through the day and wonder why I'm so weak. Why do I see strong people around me at Bethlehem? Why am I so weak? There's a reason. And you don't have to go to the encyclopedia to find it. It's right here in verse 11. Treasure up God's word in your heart that you might not sin, but live for his glory all day long. How is your faith? If you choose against Bible memory, and I'm not talking about our program. You don't need to do our program. But I think it's... Great to do this together. I think this church is going to be transformed by this. Already downstairs in the prayer meeting before this service, we were praying and I heard a woman praying. I had to open my eyes, saw who it was. And I heard, I heard this week's verse. I said, oh, she knows about it already. She's already got a jump on it. It was coming out. That it's going to be good. It's just going to be so good. Week after week, we're going to hear the word of God coming out in our prayers, coming out in our conversations, coming out in our witnessing. We're going to ask each other questions about their meaning. If you choose against Bible memory, you choose against faith. Because faith feeds on the word. Either you will wind up at best being a weak Christian or at worst being a false Christian. Those are your two options if you choose against Bible memory. You can be weak or you can be false. You've got no other options. You can't be strong without the word and the memorized word because the, the faith is not made to have one meal a day. It's made to eat lots. There's one Bible passage that says, I meditate on thy uh, word in the watches of the night. I don't think faith likes to go all night without being fed. Hmm. I don't think that means you have to set the alarm clock for three, although many saints do. I think it means you'll dream Bible if you get it into you. I do. I dream Bible. I, I, I'm usually in an argument. 
<laughs> but still, it's there. I don't always win. Those are called nightmares. Now, I want to close by doing what for me has proved the most motivating thing for you. Tell you some stories from my life. And then Wednesday night, we're going to have other people tell stories. Come Wednesday night. Even if you're not a usual Wednesday nighter, come Wednesday night and hear the motivating stories. Shark said, I could tell a few more stories. I got 13 stories right there. There they are. And I'm only telling you about three or four. I got 13 stories from my life about how memorizing scripture has made all the difference in the world. Number one, these are in chronological order in my life, starting when I was a boy. My mother, I never saw my mother read any book but the Bible. I never thought that was strange as a boy, but when I've gotten old, I thought, that's really strange. But she's with Jesus now, and she only read the Bible. Saw her sitting there reading the Bible over and over again. And she would exhort me. My mother was very, she had incredibly high standards, both for dust and for my sexual life and a few other things. And she would say to me, especially when I got ready to leave and go away to college, she would say, and now it's in me, just like it was in her, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not rely on your own insight. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. And so it went into me. It's been there now for 40 years plus, And it is still bearing fruit in getting direction and straight pads for my life. 1966, Wheaton College. I was 20 years old, and I was sicker than I've ever been in my life, before or after, with mononucleosis. My pancreas was going flip-flops, and my throat was swollen so big I could hardly breathe, and I was in the hospital for three weeks, and It was three weeks into the semester, and I thought the Lord had told me I was going to be a medical doctor in June of that year, and therefore I signed up for organic chemistry, which I hated. I hated chemistry. But I said, Lord, if you want me to be a doctor, I will do whatever. I will walk on coals in order to do what you want me to do. And so I signed up for organic chemistry. Well, I misread God's will entirely. And he, he killed that thing because you can't catch up after three weeks of missing organic chemistry. It's just over. And so I'm lying there thinking my life is over. And Evan Welch comes into that room. He's a chaplain at Wheaton in those days. And he says, John, you got a life verse? I didn't have a life verse. I had lots of verses, but I didn't think in terms of life verses. But you know what? What I immediately found myself saying, I can remember saying this. I didn't say, "Mm, no, I don't have a life verse, but here's one. I just said, "Um, I'm crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me. And what I realized God did in that three weeks was I died. Something died. A dream that I had had, I thought I was going to be a veterinarian, then I was going to be a teacher, then I thought I was going to be a doctor, and then I signed up to do all the doctor thing, and it died. And I realized God was killing it, and it was good, because before I left that room, I knew I was heading for seminary, and the Word of God 
And I'm here today because of Galatians 2.20 and mononucleosis. I've never ceased to praise God for mononucleosis. And those wonderful weeks in which God straightened me out in 1966. Let's jump forward a few years. 1971. I was done with seminary. I believe God wanted me to go to Germany to study for three years so I could teach. And I was in Radio City Music Hall. Those have been around for a while. I've heard the story before. My mother, my grandmother, my wife, and I were there at Radio City Music Hall, killing time before our jet flew away from Kennedy Airport to Munich. And Daddy wasn't there, and it hurt real bad. I wasn't going to see him for three years, I thought. My dad's preaching the gospel on the West Coast somewhere. And Mother said, let's try to call Daddy. Oh, yeah, let's do it. That's great. So we went into a phone booth. And uh, they stood outside. I went in. And we called him. And we got him. In the afternoon. Didn't expect to be able to get him. Got him in the afternoon. And we all talked to him a little bit. And then I was trying to figure out, how am I going to say goodbye for three years to my dad? And he said, Johnny, never forget. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Never forget it. Isaiah 41.10. I never forgot it. I quoted that verse more than a verse in the Bible for three years of anxiety over there in Germany. I've said, I wrote in one of my books, I can't remember which one, that Isaiah 41.10 is the whir of the motor of my mind when it's in neutral. Three years, riding my bike with the balloon tires across these cobblestone streets there from Preisingstrasse to the university across the Isar River. Going over there to German speakers, and my German was awful. Nervous every day, wondering what's going to happen, whether I'll be called on in class. And battling anxiety, morning, noon, and night. And memorizing scripture to do it. And one, as I was pondering yesterday, I asked the Lord, which one kept me? Which one did I come to most after Isaiah 41.10? And it all came flooding back. Der Herr ist mein Hirte. Mir wird nichts mangeln. Er weidet mich auf einer grünen Aue. Er führet mich zum frischen Wasser. Er erquicket meine Seele. Er führet mich auf rechter Straße um seines Namens willen. Und ob ich wanderte im finstern Tal, fürchte ich kein Unglück, denn du bist bei mir. Dein Stecken und Stab, sie trösten mich. Du bereitest vor mir einen Tisch im Angesicht meiner Feinde. Du salbst mein Haupt mit Öl. Du schenkest mir voll ein. Gutes und Barmherzigkeit werden mir folgen mein Leben lang. Und ich werde bleiben im Hause des Herrn immer da. 22 years ago. I've probably said that twice in the last 22 years. And I quote it for you. you know, where, where was I quoting? Psalm 23. I quote it for you to show what happens to you when out of desperation, on a bicycle, day in and day out, you fight the fight of faith with the Word of God. It never leaves. It goes so deep. Everybody should know Psalm 23 in your own language. And if you become a missionary somewhere else, 
in another language. When I came to this church in 1980, I had never been a pastor before. I had never baptized anybody. I had never led the Lord's Supper. I had never done a funeral. I thought this church was crazy to call this absolutely green, uninitiated, 34-year-old professor. And you trusted me. And I got discouraged and depressed very often. And in those early days, just like a banner over those early days, was Psalm 42.5, which says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my help and my God. You wonder why that sign is on that 1914 building out there? That sign is out there because I was desperate. Hope in God, Psalm 42, 5. Let me give you just one more and then, then we'll stop. And when we stop, we're going to let you fill out, if you want to, a commitment card that says, yeah, I'll join in. God helping me, I'll memorize 52 verses this year. This one moves me very deeply, brings us up to maybe 10 years ago. I've been here 16 years. Many of you remember Dolores and Rollin Erickson. Great saints. Bless my heart. It was awful to lose them both so close. Dolores had a heart attack before she died, several years before she died, and made it. We didn't know she was going to make it. And I went to the hospital quick. And there's Rollin and kids in the room. She's back there on the brink of death. Nobody knows if she make it. And Rollin said, John, give us a word from the Lord. And I froze. It wasn't there. I don't know what I said. I just knew I was totally dominated by a sense of failure. That, that an appropriate word didn't come. It didn't feel to me like it came. I went home. She made it. I went home. And I, I opened my Bible. And I wept. I wept. I cried. And I said, Lord... This will never happen again. Show me a word that will always be there. And he directed me to God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change Though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tumble and tumult, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. He will help her right early. The nations rage and the kingdoms totter, but He utters His voice and the earth melts. 
Behold the works of the Lord. How He has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted in the earth. I am exalted among the nations. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Which psalm is that? 46. I said I will never be without that psalm. Ever! So if I come to your hospital room, or someone has died, and something is not more fresh off my front burner, you can count on it. God is a very present help in time of trouble. It will be there. With all the meaning and all the faith that I can muster at that moment. And as a way of giving you one last incentive and encouragement, inspiration, just receive this word. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. And in everything he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, sinners will not stand in the congregation of the righteous, nor wicked in the judgment. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's stand. I'll be here at the front and prayer teams will be here. If you want to pray about this or anything else in your life, we'd love to pray with you. Father, dismiss us with hunger for the word. So that our faith can eat morning, noon, and night. And so that we have a sword to defeat the devil and to cut the cords of temptation. And to strengthen us with, Lord, make us strong in 97 for your great namesake. And all the people said, Amen. You're dismissed.